This time on the Rule Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. We're talking about Zelensky. I ought to try to find out what he said about President Zelensky because there's a lot to be said. There's a lot to be uncovered. There's a lot to be discovered by the American people. We need to know. We need to know. Again, yes, he's a hero. Yes, grace under pressure. Yes, he's taken on the Soviet Union and Putin. And Putin is a criminal, a war criminal, and every other criminal. He's a sociopath, a psychopath, everything. And thank God that somebody is standing up to him, and it happens to be Zelensky. But what else is there that we need to know about Zelensky? Trousers and motorcycle boots And a black leather jacket with his name on the back He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Ride Radio His name is New York Mike And welcome to the show This is Roll Right Radio I'm New York Mike Welcome to Roll Right Radio I'm New York Mike Today, there's, there's so much going on Everything that you see or hear Is about the war in Ukraine, the massacre in Ukraine. You know what? The Ukrainians have turned the massacre into a war. And we're going to talk about that. But there's other things. We're going to at least mention the confirmation hearings of Judge Contenji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court. We also have to talk about what's going on in Ukraine and what's going on with this President Zelensky. He's done a heck of a job. He's a great leader. There are other things we're going to talk about, some interesting concerns about Republican candidates. And while we're on Republican candidates, I want to talk about some quality presidential possibilities that are coming up. And I want to talk about what the Democrats are going to do if Joe Biden gets impeached. So let's begin. Joe Rogan, let's start with that. I want to get into the war and and Zelensky right after this, but we're also going to talk about rolling to remember. Very important. And I think people might be missing the real importance of what's going on in Washington, D.C. on this Memorial Day with rolling to remember and the ambits. So Joe Rogan, why is Joe Rogan on my mind today? I think it's Really interesting. A friend of mine sent me a video of Joe Rogan talking about how most men, and this is a quote I've heard before many times for most of my life, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. And it it triggered some thoughts in me, and I, I think it's important. And Joe Rogan said that when he was a young guy, starting out and everything was all about making car payments and mortgage payments or for most of us rent back in those early days just the fundamentals you know survivals that his life was that of quiet desperation of being desperate and just quietly getting through it and how horrible it was and had he just been a stand-up comedian, he couldn't have made it. But he had to go through that time of quiet desperation 
to get to the success that he has today. And I heard that and I listened to it and it just, it got me thinking about that because I always think back to my dad and to his buddies growing up after the war, the, the Second World War in the 50s, I guess it was in the 40s and 50s, but I, I wasn't even there or I was so young, uh, oblivious to everything going on. Everything was wonderful for me. I was being fed. I didn't have a problem, no matter how desperate the living conditions were. How did I know? I got my meals. When I cried, I got attention, <laughs> had a place to sleep. Everything was good. What did I know about all those things around me that put my father and all these other friends of his and guys who had also served in the war, living lives where it was desperate, getting through to the end of the month. I will say, I remember in the projects that we lived in, which were the converted barracks after the war, the rent, and I, I don't know how I remember these numbers or even knew them at the time because I was so young and I, I wasn't even five years old. And the rent was 40 bucks a month, 40 bucks a month. And I remember when they came to collect the rent at least once and my mother hid me in a closet because she didn't want anybody to know. They're knocking on the door. She obviously knew who it was and didn't want to answer it. They never had the money to pay the rent at the end of the month. Talk about quiet desperation. But I look at it as something a little different because quiet desperation has a connotation. I like what Joe Rogan says. I like he put it in his you know, short discussion. It was on something called... Uh, Stoic Outlaw. I don't know if that's the title they gave him or the program that he was being interviewed on. But I always say, never let him see you sweat. Grace under pressure. I like that as a better way of identifying how we go through those terms. And everything's like, oh, American. I, I know I watched this program on television that Petrina really likes. American greed. Why is it American greed? This is human nature, this kind of thing. It's always, when it's negative, it seems to be identified as American. But I think worldwide, humans go through these times. The fact is that one of the great things about America is we have the freedom to break loose, the freedom to elevate ourselves and our lives, the, the freedom to fight for a better life for us, for our children, and for the whole country. I've often said it, when we do the best thing we can for ourselves, we're doing the best thing for the whole country, for everybody. And I'll stay by that. That's one of the reasons why I love Trump's America first. It's America first. It's China first. It's Russia first. It's England first. It's France first. That's how every country should think. And that's how every individual should think. It's you first. When you throw that life preserver out there, when you jump in the water, to save a person, you better save yourself first and make sure that person doesn't take you down and drown you while you're trying to save him or her. So this whole thing, it's love thyself. And that's what they call quiet desperation. It's really heroic for every individual. And, and again, I really like what Joe Rogan said. But when you then take it further... And, and what triggered my thought, if not that long ago, two or three years at the most, I have a friend who introduced me to somebody who had sold their company for, if I remember right, the, the number was 150 or 60 
million dollars. Him and his family had a uh, bunch of car dealerships up in Los Angeles. And I was a guy in his, I'd say, mid-50s at most, mid, mid to late-50s. And uh, he introduced me, and I met him, and we were friendly. He was giving me some advice. He wanted me to hire him as a consultant. He had sold his companies, and he was looking for something to do. He was a really cool dude, man. Went over my buddy's house, my, my friend who lived right here in San Diego in uh, Rancho Santa Fe. We went over his house, smoked cigars together, went out and had some dinner and met on several occasions. And this dude who had this great success, his whole life was successful. And I know that he had some issues at home, you know, the wife and the kids and, you know, these things. But it was ancillary. It wasn't a primary thing in his life. It wasn't like, oh, my God, I got to handle it. I got to take it. No, it was there. Like everything else, we all have problems, be it health or whatever. But this guy, and again, he tried to convince me to hire him, and it was compelling. Uh, he gave me some good ideas. He wanted to come down. It was just, we were actually negotiating the cost of this consulting. And um, I guess it was a year, I mean, I met him within months of when he sold his business. And then maybe within a year later, he killed himself. He shot himself in his bedroom and they found him in his home. And I, I remember saying to my friend George, who was like his best friend, George was just so, I mean, it really, really affected him. And I spent time with him trying to console him and try to understand it. And in that context, in talking about that, when you talk about quiet desperation, let's not limit it to the struggles of young guys, as, as Rogan put it, or as I you know, identify with my dad, myself. <laughs> I remember those days very well. You know, it wasn't making a mortgage. Like I said, it was paying rent and hoping that, you know, you're not going to get evicted. I mean, the things that I used to think about taking care of my young sister who was four years old, my brother who was 13, and just trying to get by and survive and make it from day to day, really, honestly. Um, yeah, you can call it quiet desperation, but I would call that again, grace under pressure. But then you look at it and you say, here are successful people. We don't talk about it enough. We don't talk about those people who have these lives that we see as successful. They're millionaires, multimillionaires. They've had successful lives. And then you talk about quiet desperation. That's quiet desperation. Not the fight in the young guy striving for his family, but that whatever it is that drives. And then think about the suicide. The suicide, we are losing 22 veterans every day. I think that number is actually a bit higher. And how does that work? Where is that when we talk about quiet desperation? How do we identify it? It just hit me when I heard Rogan. I always think of Rogan as more or less a liberal who does a great job with his podcast and his interviewing of people and doing what he does. I mean, you know, he questions. But he doesn't let his personal views skewer what he's trying to accomplish. And I think in this case, it definitely worked for me to, to get me thinking about things like that. And I think it's things that 
we all should be thinking about when we're dealing with things like that. I don't want to jump too fast. I don't want to spend too much time on it. We have a lot to talk about, but I do want to say I'm, I'm thinking about it. And again, when we get to talk to Rowling to remember those suicides, those 22 a day, we need to understand what quiet desperation really is when it's desperation and not grace under pressure. So there's a difference. Anyway, we need to talk about Zelensky. There's an awful lot out there. And when people tell me that he's a hand-picked puppet of George Soros, and they talk about the corruption of Ukraine, look what went on with Hunter Biden. Look what went on when Donald Trump was trying to get to the bottom of what the heck is going on in this country. What's the reality of it? How do I get the facts? Because Zelensky was obviously hiding a lot of facts. And now on top of all that, we have Zelensky now, I think it was on Friday, he outlawed 11 political parties, which is every other political party in the Ukraine except his. So anybody who could possibly challenge him for president, there is no platform for them. Their parties are outlawed in the Ukraine. Now you can say it's a crisis, there's emergency powers, you can say anything you want to say. But when you outlaw every other political party, are you any different? Now, yeah, wait a minute. Let's not confuse his heroic stance and his great skills. And you talk about grace under pressure as a leader and the president of the Ukraine against Russia. But you got to look at the underlying facts as we go forward, as we embrace this Zelensky. You know, beyond his leadership during the war, his, his taking on Putin, his Beyond that, there's going to be an after. This is going to come to some conclusion. And I believe it's going to come to that conclusion soon. Because I don't think that Putin can sustain what he's doing that much longer. I, I don't think he could have sustained it had we started earlier with the sanctions and giving Ukraine all the weapons and everything they needed, including those MiGs. I think we might have been able to bring him to the table sooner. Again, it's going to happen. You know, Zelensky keeps calling for it, and Putin keeps trying to get a little bit more leverage. But Zelensky needs that leverage. He needs those weapons. He needs some more victories. I don't know if can you call it victories. He needs to have more. But again, at the end of the day, is the Ukraine as a country... I understand the empathy. I understand they're fighting for their independence. I do. I love that. I, I think it's awesome. But is it really a free country when the president can outlaw every other political party? Or is it an autocratic state, despotic, a dictatorship, totalitarian? Is it? What is it? Is it a fascist regime? Or is it an oligarchy or an aristocracy? Because who's there with Zelensky? You know, they do have their oligarchs. One of the wives of one of the members of their parliament had millions and millions of dollars with her as she crossed into Hungary. We saw that over the weekend. 
I don't have those pictures in front of me, but I saw them. So there are oligarchs there. I think that it's something that we as Americans need to have a sense of what's the reality. We don't get that on the media. Candace Owens, she's awesome. And I see that she tries to get these things out, but you don't see her on Fox News much because she just has this outrage about Zelensky and the fact that he's this corrupt, this puppet. And for her, and, and a lot of others, and I know some others, it overrides everything else he's doing. Well, it seems to me that everything else he's doing is overriding that. But it's something that we really need to get the truth. That's why I keep on talking about that. This truth that the media keeps hiding from us. I don't understand why don't they explore these, put it out there. Why can't we see it? I'm not going to knock the Fox News. People knock Fox News. They just, I don't know why. I think some of the best reporting I've seen. And yes, they're not giving us this perspective to look at. But I, I haven't seen it anyplace else. And when I find out where else I can find it, I'll share that with you. I think that there is a telegram Telegram.org. Check it out. Telegram.org seems to have some things, and I'm going to be exploring that a lot more. I just found out about that earlier today. But check it out, and let's try to understand. Not to, you know, knock what Zelensky's doing now. I said his leadership is awesome, his heroics. He's standing up to Putin. He's going nose to nose with Putin. But there's more here. And we have to understand it because if we're going to hold up the Ukraine as a courageous nation of people battling for the freedom from Russia, but do they have freedom from their own leadership? Is it a culture? Is it a political nation state that we want to look to as some sort of a role model for? Or how far are we going to support them? Yeah, the human suffering, the, what's going on, the support them in their battle against Putin and Russia, absolutely. But after that, and after that is coming, I don't know, how would I know? How would anybody know? How much longer this can go on? Putin seems to be bogged down. He's bringing in war fighters from what was Syria and other places, bringing in mercenaries. His guys. The Russian army is not doing the job, and it's being exposed as a much less than what was thought of capable military entity. They're bogged down. They're being beaten in their efforts, and they have to resort to destroying cities and killing civilians. We're talking about not just war crimes. We're talking about crimes against humanity. We're talking about Putin is a criminal. Putin is turned from the leader, if you want to call it, you know, part of the evil empire or part of the whatever, as the embodiment of evil. And so let me say this, Stalin was no different. When World War II ended during the war, we were Stalin's partner. And then when it was over, he, he died shortly thereafter. But he also put together the Soviet empire and all those countries that were part of it. 
And we went along with it, dividing Germany. So he was not held accountable for his war crimes or his crimes against humanity, ever. But what's going to happen with Putin is a lot different. And it's interesting to explore that today. Let's see what role the UN plays. I've been ranting against the UN most of my conscious existence, <laughs> going all the way back, all the way back. Uh, we, we used to go to Halloween trick-or-treat for UNICEF, and I, I wasn't naive even back then. Where was that money going? Who was, you know, Doug Hammarskjöld was the head of the UN whatever council, the big thing, and it was corruption, accusations, and things about that. And of course, I was the little kid. I wasn't even 10 years old, and we questioned it. Where was that money going? Why am I trick-or-treating for, for that? So all these years, and we're still, we're still not exposing that? Where is the media on all these things? I know people write books about them, and I've read a few of these books, but who has time to read all the books that should be condensed into newspaper articles and exposés about things that are important like this. It should be pursued. That's just my opinion. On that front, as we move forward, I think that there's a really good chance, well, I think better than a good chance, that the Republicans are going to take back Congress, both the House of Representatives and the Senate. It's a big deal. And where we are today, I don't want to, you know, just continue to go about the gas prices and the inflation and the border situation, everybody, crime situation. We know that. We see. We know Biden a day late and a dollar short Biden. We should have avoided this Russian invasion. It could have been avoided. And what are we going to do now? Are we going to discourage China from taking over Taiwan? I mean, all these things, these are questions we'll be talking about. But let's understand that we have some as I said at the top of the show, some interesting concerns about Republican candidates. There are some issues. So let's talk about a few of them. We have several people running for the Senate. We have Eric Wright, who used to be the governor of Missouri, now running to replace Roy Blunt as the senator from Missouri. And as he's running, and I like Eric Reitens. He's a retired Navy SEAL. He became governor. He's a smart guy. He's a proven entity. He's also <laughs> proven to be a problem in that he had to step down as governor because his ex-wife and there were other accusations of uh, domestic abuse and things of that nature, sexual misconduct, etc. That was a few years ago, not that long. Now he's running and his ex-wife is stepping up and accusing him again. It's coming out and it's going to come out. But Eric Greitens is he's running against two other good qualified Republican candidates. What's going to happen? And, and again, I like Eric Greitens and I'm not going to, going to say right now that these accusations, it could be people get angry, people want revenge, you know, whatever. What's going on in Ohio, I don't even know who's running in Ohio, but people tell me it's a clown show. In Georgia, Herschel Walker is also being, you know, accused of domestic abuse. 
by his ex-wife and some bad business defaults and lawsuits. Look, again, I'm not going to I'm not going to condone or agree with those accusations and certainly not with okay, he's had some lawsuits. You know what? I think we need tort reform in this country in the worst way. And I don't just mean a little bit of tort reform. The legal industry, and it's an industry, it is not a profession, not in any way, shape, or form. It is an industry, and it needs to be scrutinized. Somebody needs to take on this industry. These lawyers, are it's nothing but the business of extortion. Are there good ones? Of course there are. Are there righteous ones? Is there a need? Absolutely. But it has become an industry of legal, legitimate extortion at every turn. And it really is hurting the economy. It's hurting us individually. I'm not going to condone it at all, not to get off track. Florida, we have Matt Gates. I like Matt Gates. I really do. Now, the grand jury is investigating him for sex crimes, human trafficking. Well, what do I think of that? I think it's political. That's what I think. They've been investigating him for a year and a half. I haven't heard about it for a while. And I assume that it's because they haven't been able to find anything. And what I do remember is that they say the grand jury can indict a ham sandwich. And that's, from everything I hear, that's probably true. So if they haven't come up with an indictment yet, after all this time, come on, will you? Let's just hope that it's not. I'm just, but I'm just saying this, these issues. And in North Carolina, this is the top of the top. They're going after Madison Cawthorn. <laughs> Madison Cawthorn. Why are they so afraid of Madison Cawthorn? They just seem to go after him for everything they could find about him. And the last thing, I don't even want to give it any credibility by even mentioning it, but they threw it out. These guys brought him to court. They threw it out. And then now they're going after him for insulting President Zelensky. Yeah, here we go. Back to the top of the podcast. <laughs> We're talking about Zelensky. I ought to try to find out what he said about President Zelensky because there's a lot to be said. There's a lot to be uncovered. There's a lot to be discovered by the American people. We need to know. We need to know. Again, yes, he's a hero. Yes, grace under pressure. Yes, he's taken on the Soviet Union and Putin. And Putin is a criminal, a war criminal, every other criminal. He's a sociopath, a psychopath, everything. And thank God that somebody is standing up to him. And it happens to be Zelensky. But what else is there that we need to know about Zelensky. What do we need to know about these issues? What my opinion? If this is it, we got Grydens, we got some clowns in Ohio who are making a sham out of the whole, you know, process. We got Herschel Walker. My God, Herschel Walker. You know, he's an American cultural hero. Matt Gates, Madison Cawthon. I don't think we have a problem. I think we have a bunch of Democrats and left wingers saying that when you think about what we would have against the Democrats, you got to listen, the whole squad, AOC, on and on. The vice president, how in the world did they get her 
to be vice president. What? Are you kidding me? You talk about a box of rocks. Come on. <laughs> so, no, do I think we have a problem? Nah, I don't think so. This is normal. Don't let it upset you. I think that we're going to take back Congress overwhelmingly. And, oh, by the way, another one that was listed as one of the issues, could Sarah Palin be asked to replace Don Young, who was, I think, the longest-serving congressman? He just passed away last week from Alaska. And when asked if the Republican governor wanted her to replace him, would she take it? And she said, in that New York minute. So to me, listen, I, I got to tell you, uh, first place, I know Sarah Palin. I really like Sarah Palin. I think Sarah Palin would be fantastic in Congress. Can you see her along with Bobart? We have some Republican women in Congress. I think we can be really proud of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know some people don't agree. Some of them are over the top. And all. But Lauren Bobart, from, I, I believe she's from Rifle. That's a little town in Colorado. I pass all the time as I ride across the country. I love going on the 70. And I'm so tempted to get off the bike in Rifle and find her. I think her family owns a restaurant there. Sarah Palin. Would she fit right in? Oh, my God, she would. But she's also, I don't want to use this word in the wrong context. She's an elder statesman. She's been around a long time. Bobart is 35 years old. The other one from Georgia, the blonde, whatever her name is, three names. She's in her 30s. I think that Sarah Palin would be a great compliment to the Republican congressional delegation. I really do. She'd be fantastic. They would have somebody else to go after. Oh, yeah, I can see Russia from my doorstep. They use things like that. You think she can? It's a metaphor. When you're in Alaska, you know, over the Bering Straits, there's Russia. Come on, a metaphor. And they're going to hold that again? And they, they'll clobber with it. <laughs> I see it all the time, every time. As I said, I know Sarah Palin. In 212, at Rolling Thunder in Washington, D.C., you know, we asked Sarah Palin. She showed up, and we had her lead the demonstration. And we're talking about, at that time, probably 700, 800,000, 800,000 bikes, mostly 95% Harley-Davidson motorcycles, and mostly active-serving veterans, families of vets. And that's Rolling Thunder. And she came out. And everybody assumed that her husband, Todd, would get him a bike and he'd put Sarah on the back. She said, oh, no. She said, I want to be on a woman's bike, okay? And Todd, by the way, we got him a bike and he did ride. He took one of their daughters, I think it was Willow. And they came to me and Petrina. And they said, would Petrina take Sarah Palin on the back of her motorcycle? Well, that year, Petrina was riding on the back of my motorcycle. So Petrina, of course, said, yeah, absolutely. And Petrina's been riding for all her adult life. She's a fabulous, skilled rider, but she's never ridden a passenger. There was never any need to. And plus, I had my big, brute 2010 110 engine, uh, big 
FLHTC, the big dresser. And that was what she was going to take Sarah Palin on. Not a smaller bike that's easier to ride. Or Heritage, which Petrina rides now, or Lowrider or something else. Nope. It was going to be on my bike. And so it was quite a day. Petrina just getting on the bike and riding around block after block just to make sure that she... Yeah, we went down to the hotel with Sarah Palin and Sarah and Todd came down to meet us. We had the whole highway patrol there. And Petrina got on the bike and rode around. I remember the highway patrolman looking at me and, and Petrina hadn't ridden my bike. And she goes around the block and then we watch her ride and you make those turns and come around. And he looks at me and he goes, she can ride that bike. I said, oh, yeah, she can. But it was still a daunting experience. And Sarah Palin came up, got on the back of the bike. <laughs> Petrina looked at me and goes, I never rode a passenger. I said, go 100 feet, honey. If you don't feel good, stop. And she just went right down the driveway of the hotel and onwards. And by the way, it was about six miles from the uh, Crystal City Hyatt to the Pentagon parking lot. And they get there. You know, it's a pretty quick ride. Everybody's there already. So they didn't go in with the crowds. We rode in. And I got on the bike, the back of my buddy Mike Lanetto's bike. God bless Mike Lanetto. And I got on the back of his bike. <laughs> he has a, a Harley Lowrider. And so we followed him. As we get through the gates and everybody's, you know, waiting, the photographers, the press and everybody, because I guess the word leaked out and maybe we put it out. I don't know. But they're all there. Hundreds of thousands of bikes all set up in the Pentagon parking lot. And we ride in and the press just swamps the bike. They don't care that there's Petrina. It's this little woman riding this big bike with Sarah Palin on the back. And they just got over there. And thank God for my buddy Mike DiPaolo. Magic Mike. He was the first one. There was one guy with a camera right in between this. How did she, she couldn't even put the kickstand down. And these photographers are over there. They probably didn't try to knock the bike over, but they didn't care. Absolutely no consideration for anything. And Mike DePaulo just wrapped this guy and knocked him away. Then we all got over there to protect Petrina and Sarah from this incredibly stupid inconsiderate crowd of reporters and, and camera people. It was not a pleasant sight. So we get down there. That was probably 10 o'clock. The ride leaves at 12. So Petrina and Sarah were right behind Artie Muller and, and the Gold Star families. And they make the turn. They get out. And as soon as they get over the cemetery grounds at Arlington, and then they get past the Lincoln Memorial, here are the photographers running out in the street, running in front of Petrina's bike, run, putting the camera in the face, and we're trying to protect her, and they're coming. I mean, they wouldn't have given it. Matter of fact, I'm not saying they try to make her fall, but had she fallen, I think the pictures would have been priceless, and I think they would have been just snapping pictures as fast as they could. And it would have been the headline with Sarah Palin, falls on her Harley. By the way, everything else worked out great. She made a speech. She was fabulous. It was interesting in that 
you spend all this time, and again, going back to where I started, grace under pressure. Both Petrina and Sarah Palin, they did not let these photographers, I mean, yeah, in the beginning, when DePaulo just knocked the guy away, and don't get me wrong, they were rattled. But then, with everything that happened, and it was a lot more that happened, it was great. It was great to spend the time with Sarah Todd, the kids, the whole day. And we've spent time with them since. We've been out to dinner with them. We've been out to fundraisers for Navy SEAL families and for other issues. And Sarah Palin is a quality person. She did a great job of governor. I think she was thrown under the bus as a candidate. And I don't think she was, what's the word I'm looking for? They say it's John McCain, but I think the whole Republican Party just let her down. So that's just my opinion. I voted for McCain. I obviously voted for McCain. <laughs> he was running against Barack Obama. But I also voted for McCain in the primary and talked about him on my radio show at that time. And it was a hard decision. You know, he was running against Mitt Romney. And it came down to Romney and McCain, and I chose McCain. Not getting into it, but here we are. And we're looking at where we're going. And what are the Democrats, more interestingly, because we are going to take back Congress. And I think we're going to impeach. I, I really hope the Republicans have the balls they need to do the job. And to do the job, the first thing they have to do, impeach this Guy Biden, impeach him for crimes, for what he did with his son, for investigating Hunter Biden and everything that was done, and how he shared the booty with his papa. This is what happened. We see it. Now we just have to prove it in court, and let's get it done, and let's impeach this guy. Impeach him for what he did in Afghanistan. Impeach him for making this country energy dependent when we didn't have to be. Impeach him. There's so many things. Impeach him for lying. Just impeach him. And I, I think we have a lot of substantive issues on which to get that done. And I, I hear Republicans talk about it, but I still don't have a comfort level. I think it'll get done. But when they do, and I think the Democrats are going to see it coming, they'll know. They know now. They're talking about it. What are they going to do to protect the presidency? And who are they going to put in there? If they only have Kamala Harris, that's not going to work for the Democrats. They don't want that any more than we want. Well, maybe a little more than we wanted. But they know that she's not competent. I don't know how in the world she even got to be senator. Well, she comes from California. I guess that's easy enough. Well, who did she replace? Barbara Boxer? Oh, my God. So... What are they going to do? They are not going to allow Kamala Harris to succeed Joe Biden. They're going to have to do something about that. And it's going to be interesting. And maybe at a future date, we'll talk about those Democrats that they'll put in there. It's going to be interesting because the Speaker of the House, I don't know if it's going to be, what's his name from California? I, I like Jim Jordan. I think Jim Jordan's got to be the next speaker, in my opinion. There are probably a half a dozen Republicans who are really qualified to be the Speaker of the House when we take back Congress. 
And I don't think that Kavanaugh is amongst them. I really don't. I just don't. I like him as a congressman. I like his positions on things. I don't like his leadership. And I think we could do a lot better. So hopefully we will. But no matter how, whether it's Kavanaugh, whether it's Jim Jordan, whether it's one of the others that I like, the next in line after the vice president is the Speaker of the House. So the Democrats have to do something before this impeachment is done. Otherwise, the Speaker of the House is going to step up and become the president. So the Democrats will have to have a capable vice president. So when Biden's impeached, they can have some. And that's something worth talking about. But something else worth talking about. Everybody's talking about Trump running for president. I, I think he will. And if he does, I think he'll win. But there's also a good chance we take back the House and Trump sees a different path. He is the titular leader of the Republican Party. And as such, he's a kingmaker. And two and a half years from now is a long time. We have some great people. I could sit here and name names of who could be the best vice president. And we go through that. And at the same time, go through names of who could be president. Because we have a great bench. And I'll start with Ron DeSantis. Whether it's VP or president, I think DeSantis is at the top of the list. And I'll tell you who else is on my list. After DeSantis, you have Ted Cruz. Then you have Rick Grinnell. I like Rick Grinnell. What's probably going to happen is whoever we put in, whoever we elect as president, I think Rick Grinnell will be the secretary of state. I mean, I could just see Trump. DeSantis, and then Rick Rennell, Secretary of State. I think that'd be great. But let's say it's DeSantis is president. Trump is content to be the CEO of America. <laughs> I kind of like that, too. So who would DeSantis take as his VP? I mean, you got Ted Cruz, Nikki Haley. People say a lot of things negative about, but everybody, it seems, again, with all this rhino thing, which we, which we never had that word. If, if there's one thing that people just go, oh, she's not pro-life enough. Okay, she's no good. Well, whatever other little thing. We can't be that way and expect to win. We just can't. But Nikki Haley, who's, by the way, I looked her up. Her name is Nimroth Radwa. I mean, that's where Nikki comes from. You know, obviously, her parents are from India, and that's Nikki Haley. But she's great. I don't know who my first choice is. I've got so many choices. We have a great bench. Nikki Haley's right up there. Mike Pompeo, who's already said he doesn't want to run for president, but I'm putting him up there anyway, as qualified. Josh Hawley, Tom Cotton. Josh Hawley's a senator from Missouri. Tom Cotton's the senator from Arkansas. Christy Nome, governor of South Dakota. It's a small state, but she's done a big job. And maybe not president, but certainly vice president. Joni Erst, same thing. Joni Erst is the senator from Iowa. She's a combat vet. I'm not sure of her current rank, whether it's uh, lieutenant colonel. She could be a general right now in the um, Army Reserve. But, you know, she's a combat vet and has been doing a great job as a senator from Iowa. So I think that's a credible name. Mike Pence, look, you got to give it to him. He did a credible job as vice president. He's 
speaking out now. He's going around the country. I don't think I want to see him as president, even though he's had a lot of practice as vice president. Um, I'm not sure where I fall on that. I like the guy. I don't think I like him enough. Larry Hogan, I don't like, but he's governor of Maryland, and he's in the running. Greg Abbott, you can't take anything away from the governor of Texas. Chris Sununu, I liked his father a lot more than I like him. Governor of New Hampshire, by the way. His father was the governor of New Hampshire. Chris Sununu, I don't know. He's a capable guy. I think he's got a lot more to prove. Chris Christie. Former governor of New Jersey. I'm not a fan. I used to be a fan. I don't dislike him that much. I just don't see it. Marco Rubio. Uh, there's a guy that I would not object if he was vice president under uh, Ron DeSantis. I would not object at all. Uh, good man. Rick Scott. Good man. Tim Scott. Now, there's a vice presidential guy. I like Tim Scott. And the fact that he's black, does that enter into it? Oh, we're going to put a black guy in there to show that, you know, we're, no. I think the man standalone has just great qualifications when he speaks. The, the laws that, you know, that he's put in, enacted, try to put in, he's done a great job. And I think he's, I don't know if he's underrated, if I should say that. I've never heard anything but, you know, real positive stuff about Tim Scott. And then there's two people I really like in the Republican Party, General Michael Flynn. And when you talk about quiet desperation versus grace under pressure, think about what General Flynn went through during that whole 2016 time, that whole thing that John Durham is going to be prosecuting and all that. I mean, what this man went through and how little he whined and cried. This man is an American hero, and he deserves a lot more recognition than anything he's getting. There's somebody else that went through that. Now, I'm not saying that he's presidential or vice presidential material. I don't know. Vice president? Michael Flynn? I'm not going to say no. I like the guy a lot, and he's paid his dues. He's done a lot for this country. And there's somebody else who I like a lot, maybe a vice president, KT McFarland. I think she's fantastic. Anytime I see her on TV or hear her on the radio, I'm going to tune right in. She knows her stuff. So that's my current list. I know I'm going to grow it. <laughs> because, again, we have such a deep bench on the Republican Party. These are all absolute qualified people. So just a, a comment or two about the um, confirmation hearings, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. Wow. She's a quality person as a person, her life, what she's done. When you watch some of these views, you know she's going to get in, but you just wonder about how far to the left should a Supreme Court justice be. Well, obviously, it's not going to make me happy. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Sotomar and Kagan, they're way left of anything that I want to see on the Supreme Court. But there's the other side. And the other side of the country gets their choice, too. And if they have a majority at some point, shame on us. But that's what we're going to have to live with. Right now, 
she's replacing a liberal. It seems to me she's a lot more liberal than the guy she's replacing. But hey, it is what it is. She seems to be a quality person. And I got one thing to say, and that is one name anyway, Ted Cruz. If you get a chance to watch these hearings, these confirmation hearings, just check out Ted Cruz. I mean, this man is so well prepared. He does such a great job. You know what makes me think about in that primary, whether it was Ted Cruz versus Donald Trump, if there's anything that is telling about Donald Trump's skill and the power of his persona on the world stage, on the national stage, of course he's going to piss people off. Look what he did to Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is one of the most qualified, capable people that we have in our government. And Donald Trump got him, pushed his button, did what he had to do. Think about it. When you think about how great a president Donald Trump was, and hopefully will be, you got to look at moments like that, especially when you see Ted Cruz in, in his element right here, so respectful, going up these confirmation hearings, so prepared, just articulate, and he's a great debater. And you can see his skills. And then you just think back to when Donald Trump, and I'm not going to say he walked all over him, but he beat him. He really did. And that was something that should have told us the kind of job that he was going to do as president and how upset the other side was going to be, including those Republican never-Trumpers, Trump haters. Hey, I'm New York Mike. You didn't get to six things. I wanted to get to the fact that we have a bunch of retired Navy SEALs running for Congress. That's pretty cool. One of them is a guy named Morgan Luttrell. Check it out. I'm going to talk about him next time. And next time, I'm also going to spend a little more time, or maybe a lot more time, talking about Rolling to Remember Memorial Day this year. It's coming up, and it is so important. Bigger than ever, but we're going to save that for next time. I'm New York Mike. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being there especially you guys and gals who subscribe. It's really humbling, and I, I do appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back. I'm New York Mike, and I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio Podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.